The Holy Gospel according to St. John. Glory to you, O Lord. Our Gospel this morning does indeed come from St. John, from the 10th chapter, verses 22 through 30, and can be found on page 1667 of your Pew Bible. John records, Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts, walking in Solomon's colonnade. And the Jews were there, gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name, they testify about me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Well, how unlike me, your pastor made a boo-boo and left his uh, sermon down here. Sorry for the delay. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, for centuries, centuries, people have tried to discredit the Bible. And at various times, this, this attempt to discredit God's Word has been gone by an appeal, an appeal to science, or an appeal to reason, or an appeal to experience, or even to emotion. The goal is to discredit to squelch, to stop God's Word and the reading of it. People have appealed to methods that would be considered ridiculous under other circumstances. However, no other historical document has remotely had to endure the gauntlet, the scrutiny that the Bible has withstood. Even archaeologists have tried to ridicule the Bible. One archaeologist in particular thought that the Hittites were a fabrication 
that those people never existed. And then there was a dig that began turning up Hittite artifacts. Now, most archaeologists in the Middle East say that they find everything right where the Bible tells them to look. Imagine that. Literature experts have dissected the literary style of the Bible. Have you ever heard of that? They will say that such and such a book has, well, it was obviously written by two or more authors because the literary style changes too much in that book. As though Isaiah or as though Daniel should write the same way in their youth as they do in their old age. Of course, if the writing is too consistent, then these experts will say that it is artificially produced because people are not so consistent throughout their lives. Then there is a phenomena known as the Jesus Seminar. The Jesus Seminar states that it is searching for the historic Jesus. They do this by trying to determine which biblical events actually happened and then state that the rest of the Bible was added or modified by later editors, those that were editing the Scripture. And they hope to deconstruct the Bible back to its historical roots. Of course, once it's back to its historical roots, for them, history does not have miracles or prophecy. These are the first things to go. Then there is the attack from those who are willing to admit that the Bible was a really good book for its time. These people state that the world has not, well, the world was not nearly as sophisticated as it is now. And the guidelines in the Bible are just fine and appropriate for the civilizations that have not entered into modern industrial age or the information-based economy. But more modern times, like right now, demand more modern guidelines. This attack wants to adjust the teachings of the Bible so that it is more in line with modern culture. And these people say that the Bible would be much different if it was written today. This is what the ELCA has done. And this is what they continue to do. There are dozens, if not hundreds, of other approaches that our modern culture uses in its attempt to discredit the Bible. So, am I concerned? (laughs) No, I am not concerned about the Bible. It has stood up through much worse. Consider this. 
When Jeremiah's scribe presented the first copy of the book of Jeremiah to the king, the king would read a little bit, or have it read to him actually, and then cut the scroll with a knife and throw it into a fire. Have you heard that? It's in Jeremiah chapter 36, 23. Unfortunately, the Holy Spirit inspired, inspired Jeremiah to redictate the book to his faithful scribe so that we can read it today. And then there's Manasseh and Ammon who did not maintain the temple while they were kings over Judah. And they actually lost the book of the law. And by God's providence, when Josiah became king, well, his men cleaned up the temple and they, they found it. In the time leading up to the 15th century, Rome had hidden God's word by translating it into a language that the common man could not read. And they also went so far as to make it illegal to possess any translation of the Bible. And moved by the Holy Spirit, Martin Luther translated it into German, and he paved the way for the modern idea that anyone can have his own copy of the Bible in his native language. Now, I have heard, been told, that Luther's criticism, one of many, of the Pope included his admonition that priests may as well be speaking in tongues when they preach the Word of God in Latin to a bunch of Germans. So in a way, we can receive a certain amount of comfort from the intense scrutiny that the Bible has received. The fact that the Bible survived indicates that the book has the kind of substance that you would expect from the inspired, infallible Word of God. Amen? Now, if people gave that kind of scrutiny to the Bible, you would think that other religious writings would come under similar scrutiny. But that's not the case. We have seen this in recent times. We have seen a renewed interest in the Gospels of Thomas or of Judas, or there was this thing called the Da Vinci Code or so forth. People are all excited about the family life of Jesus and Mary Magdalene and, and their kids that don't exist. They are ready to believe that some Hollywood producer has discovered the bones of Jesus. They haven't, because they're not there. And almost any fly-by-night promoter can put together a slick piece of propaganda and put it on the History Channel or on YouTube, and our culture will embrace it almost immediately. Why? Why are people so skeptical when it comes to the Bible, and yet so gullible when it comes to almost everything else? Jesus gives us the answer. 
He gave us the answer in today's gospel. You see, Jesus was in the temple in Jerusalem celebrating Hanukkah when the Jewish leaders surrounded him and asked, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Because they did not believe. They were not looking for affirmation that he was the Messiah. No, they weren't. But they were looking for evidence that they could use against him in a court of law. And Jesus answered them. He said, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. So in a nutshell, Jesus said that he would let his actions speak for him. You and I might say actions speak louder than words. Watch me. Jesus knew these leaders had him under constant surveillance. They had either seen or they had reliable eyewitness accounts of most of Jesus' ministry. What evidence did Jesus' ministry produce? Well, they knew. They knew the prophecies better than anyone. So a good question is, did Jesus' ministry fulfill the prophecies? Well, of course it did. Of course it did. The common members of society thought so. Who are they? Well, the blind, the deaf, the lame, even the lepers knew that Jesus was the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. They called him the son of David. They asked him for mercy. And despite this evidence, these Jewish leaders could not see it because they refused to believe. And the Jewish leaders had already made up their mind about Jesus, and no amount of evidence was going to convince them that they were wrong. Ever met anybody like that? Now, admitting you are wrong is a very hard thing to do. Can I get an amen? <laughs> it is for me. It was hard for the Jewish leaders, and it is hard for us. In fact, confessing our wrongdoing to an almighty God, holy God, it is impossible without the Holy Spirit's gift of faith. God gives all of his spiritual gifts through faith, and without faith, we receive no spiritual benefits. One more time, without faith, we receive no spiritual benefits. This is exactly what Jesus told these Jewish leaders as he continued to speak. He says, you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. People who resist, people who resist the Holy Spirit cannot truly understand God's word. They cannot believe that it is God's eternal truth. And therefore, they work very hard to discredit it. And the Jewish leaders worked to discredit it then, well, 
then even our culture works hard to discredit it now. And as the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Some translations, it's foolishness. It's a stumbling block to those that are perishing. Now the ironic twist to the Jewish leader's stubbornness is this. It's that God used it to continue fulfilling the promises that he had made through his prophets. A few months after the events of today's gospel, these same Jewish leaders would seem to succeed. How? Well, they would convict Jesus in their own unjust trial and then use political pressure to force Pontius Pilate to crucify him. And as they followed through on their plan, they had no idea that they were causing him to fulfill the very prophecies that they had denied. You see how that works? Jesus transformed the results of their rebellious actions into a sacrifice on the cross that would redeem the whole world from sin. And as he suffered and died, he withstood the wrath of God against our sins. He earned our freedom from the condemnation of sin. He healed our relationship with God. He, the shepherd, became the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In his triumph over sin, he did not remain in the grave, but he rose to live again. And with his resurrection, he opened the way through death into everlasting life. And he has promised to recreate us to live with him forever. And as the Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts, we become part of God's flock. And we receive all of God's gifts. And as Jesus said in today's gospel, my sheep, they hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And with the Holy Spirit's gift of faith in us, we get it. We believe. We get forgiveness, life, and salvation. Those are all ours now through faith. And today's gospel closes with a very, very powerful promise. Jesus said this, I give my sheep eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. And with these words, Jesus promises us that our relationship with God is as solid as the very relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. 
The world will continuously make every effort to discredit the Bible and so discredit Jesus. But in the end, the world's efforts will only serve to validate the Bible's authority. Jesus promised this in Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. In the name of Jesus, amen.